Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. A lot going on. We have this breaking Joe Biden corruption news. I'll talk to you about that, assuming I don't get censored. Also, Judicial Watch has a great new book coming out next week. I want to give you the details on that. And I hope uh, you, you, you join the overwhelming number of Americans who purchased the book. On top of that, we have astonishing new numbers about the dirty election rolls in this country, um, essential information for you. And plus, oh, wait, and we're also involved in a movie uh, that's coming out next week as well. So we've got so much going on. And we just filed a big appeal related to Hillary Clinton's email testimony. So I'll talk to you about that as well. Uh, first up, though, is the Joe Biden scandal story that's come out as a result of disclosures of what is reported to be Hunter Biden's laptop to uh, the New York Post, specifically, I think, through Rudy Giuliani. So the story is Hunter Biden dropped uh, one or more laptops over uh, at a store or a repair shop up in Delaware, computer repair uh, uh, store in Delaware, and he left them there. So essentially, uh, he he. You know, you abandon property that it becomes someone else's property. And the guy running the store reviewed it. He saw evidence of criminal activity and other troubling things and ran to the FBI with it. And it took some uh, pushing and shoving with the FBI. But then the FBI finally, or specifically the Justice Department, issued a subpoena for the material in December of last year. So they've had this material that you've read about in the news this week since December, the deep state DOJ and FBI have. And he also turned it over to uh, Rudy Giuliani and company, I think Steve Bannon as well. And so they got it to the New York Post, who started reporting on the material from the laptop purportedly of Hunter Biden. And the documents and the emails and the text are, uh, they confirm the worst possible activity by the Biden clan in terms of converting the vice president's office into a piggy bank for the family and specifically Joe Biden as well. Now, you may recall Joe Biden said he had nothing to do with his son's business. Well, there's an email suggesting that a top official at Burisma sent a text or email to, uh, to Hunter thanking him for getting a meeting with Joe Biden. Now, the Biden campaign uh, distractedly, you know, said something about Russia did it, which is ridiculous, and said there's no meeting in any official records, any official appointment schedules of the pre vice president. But then they told Politico, it's not to say an informal meeting didn't take place. They couldn't rule that out. But if a meeting took place, it was only cursory. So in essence, they're confirming in a backhanded way a key element of the allegations. Uh, the other emails show uh, there's two sets of stories, um, maybe even three sets of stories that a Chinese communist company gave Biden all sorts of money. 
and uh, include just tens of millions of dollars, looks like $10 million, maybe upwards of $30 million, uh, just so he could do provide introductions. I mean, completely, uh, I mean, if that's not an indication of fraudulent and criminal activity, I don't know what is. They were selling Joe Biden's office. Other text messages sent by Hunter Biden suggest that he gave half of everything he was getting to his father. He called Pop. Other emails suggest they talks about saving some of the money he was getting from the Chinese for the big guy. And that strongly is implied to be Joe Biden, though we don't know that for sure. So what has been the reaction of the major media to this? Suppression, suppression, censorship, censorship. You had unprecedented censorship by Twitter. They were blocking users, preventing people from linking to the URL, the the uh, uh, web address for the New York Post story. Unprecedented. The New York Post is, I think, the nation's oldest newspaper, if not one of the oldest newspapers, founded by Alexander Hamilton. I think it's the fourth biggest newspaper in the United States. They got this material. Journalistically, they thought it was good enough to run, but Twitter thinks it's not good enough, and they cut it out, and they censored it in an unprecedented fashion. Facebook similarly did the same thing. They, they throttled it back, they call it. So it made it difficult, if not impossible, for anyone to share it till their fact checkers figured out it, whether it was good enough for Facebook. This is unprecedented intervention in the election campaign by Twitter and Facebook. It's false and deceptive business practices because they tell you they have a hands-off approach, right? other than illegal, objectionable material, things like that. Twitter said it was hacked. They don't allow hacked material, which is baloney. First of all, it wasn't hacked. It was a computer left behind that the person lawfully took control over because it was abandoned property. It wasn't hacked at all. And of course, it doesn't prevent left-wing Twitter from allowing people to go in and look at news stories in the New York Times about the president's purloined tax returns or illegally obtained classified information. How do we know that wasn't hacked? Are Wikipedia or, excuse me, WikiLeaks leaks prohibited from being linked to by Facebook or Twitter? All of that was hacked, stolen. I was the subject of a Washington Post story one of the subjects of a Washington Post story this week, where they went to a private meeting I was attending. I was making a presentation about the uh, uh, voter fraud, according to the Washington Post, and they got the video. Of course, they took out of context and dishonestly reported about what I was talking about, but it was based on a video they had no right to of a private meeting that I didn't give them a permission. I didn't give my permission for them to use. Is that the same as being hacked? Sounds like it to me. Twitter isn't throttling that back. Facebook isn't censoring that. Everyone talks about Section 230. Section 230 is a section of federal law that essentially has been interpreted by too many courts to grant absolute immunity for Twitter and Facebook to do this type of garbage, illegal, illicit censorship. And uh, Section 230, I encourage you to go and read it, and you'll see it that provides them no immunity like that.
they engage in deceptive business practices, make up and falsify information about why they're doing something in terms of their business, that's not, that's not protected under law. And they just can't restrain communications based on someone's content, political content, mainly to help Joe Biden while hurting Donald Trump. We all know why they're doing it. So this has been a serious attack on the Republic, as I say in our book that's coming up, The Assault on the Republic, this time by private entities. Because Twitter and Facebook have outsized influence. I know, I, yes, I know, they're private companies. But their activities have a public impact. And certainly they should be held accountable to the law for their misconduct and deceptive business practices. If someone, if a company said they were all of a sudden changed their policy to target someone politically and, and came up with a after the fact excuse to lie about it, Securities Exchange Commission might come in, Federal Trade Commission might come in, the Department of Justice might come in. So I think all of those agencies, including states attorney generals potentially, should be investigating Twitter and Facebook for their suppression of information shortly before a key election to help one of the candidates, Joe Biden. So you can be sure, though, separately, censorship won't stop Judicial Watch. We already have sent out Freedom of Information Act requests for these particular emails to the relevant agencies, text messages, other documents. I don't know what's on that computer. Supposedly, according to, to Rudy Giuliani, the documents on the computer evidence tens and tens of millions of dollars in money laundering and bribery schemes, benefiting, among others, Joe Biden. China, Ukraine, Russia. And I told you, didn't I? I told you they were very nervous about Biden. Why? Because I've explained, if you've been watching our weekly updates over the last few years, especially during impeachment, I highlighted the fact that President Trump was absolutely right to ask Ukraine about the Joe Biden corruption issues and Burisma. And little, I'm sure, did, did President Trump know at the time just what, he, what string he was unraveling. And it helps explain, these new emails do, the desperate coup impeachment against President Trump, that they were willing to blow up our Constitution to protect Biden from this terrible, from, from, the, from the consequences of his terrible corruption. And you can be sure Obama knew everything that was going on. You can be sure. There were reports about Biden and, and the, the Biden family trading on Biden's name during the Obama administration. Even in impeachment, they talked about the concerns they had about Burisma. We just uncovered emails showing that it was a longstanding concern, the emails suggest, in the Obama administration about Biden and Burisma. They were so desperate 
that you had the Ukraine embassy run by anti-Trumper Ambassador Yovanovitch in 2019, monitoring the social media accounts in violation of the law, it looks like, specifically asking, figuring out why were they, what were people talking about Biden and Burisma? We uncovered that. So go to the New York Post, go online. The story has gotten out there despite efforts by Twitter and Facebook to try to censor your right to know through their deceptive and illicit business practices. I've told you before they've censored Judicial Watch and they're gonna be censoring all sorts of things related to the election as we get closer. It's not gonna stop, it's gonna get worse. Because Facebook is of the opinion and, and, and the big tech companies are of the opinion that if you question why it is they're counting ballots for weeks after the election, you'll be censored. If you raise questions, valid ones, about voter fraud, you will be censored. Facebook isn't allowing Judicial Watch to pay for any advertising after the election. We can't talk. I think we can post stuff, but we can't pay to promote it. So other Americans, our job is to educate people. So our advertising is designed to educate people. But we're not allowed to do that until, quote, a, a, a president is selected or confirmed. The winner is confirmed. Well, how's that going to be? So we're not allowed to talk about that process. It's called putting your thumb on the scales to help Joe Biden. That's what this is about. You saw it with, I, this is, um, this is the, this is the worst. Uh, this is the most significant threat to our right to know that I've ever run across. I mean, I always thought it was the government we had to worry about. Here we have, it's the left was smarter than that. The left took over the corporate's big tech companies that we now all rely on to communicate and share information and gain access to news about what our government's up to. And they said, well, we don't need to control the government. We just need to control those companies. And there's been pressure from Hillary Clinton, George Soros, Democrats, journalists, the left. They've been pressuring these companies since the get-go to suppress conservatives. And this is what has happened. You thought it was about Russia. It was never about Russia because this, they began this little game pretending they needed to make sure the Russians weren't interfering with our elections. First of all, anything they were doing online in 2016 was immaterial to the election. And they all knew that. But from the left's perspective, anything critical of Obama, Biden, Hillary, or their agenda was Russia. And that was the entree. And now it's now disinformation which of course only conservatives, I guess, engage in, right? This is a nightmare for the freedom of speech. And section 230, if you keep on, you'll keep on hearing this, doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be rewritten. It just needs to be enforced. I encourage you to review Justice Thomas's dissent in a case that was issued this week. Maybe we can provide a link to it. It's hard to find. You, you'll pop onto the document from the Supreme Court site and you'll see just list and list of cases they were taking or not taking. 
and at the bottom of the document, I think, is Justice Thomas's dissent. And he, and as I tweeted out, his dissent is a shot across the bow of big tech because he suggests that Section 230 has been wrongly interpreted because the plain text is plain to allow them to engage in improper censorship and other misconduct. And it doesn't. It doesn't. So Judicial Watch is going to do the heavy lifting in terms of investigating Joe Biden and this new scandal and pushing for the truth online about it. So there'll be, I, I understand there's going to be more information breaking. And uh, so, so keep on watching. Keep on watching. So, now, you know, I don't know if they're going to censor this. So, you know, watch it while you can. Judicial Watch today uh, issued a, a very important report about uh, the state of our election rolls. And our analysis is found, and we've done analyses like this in the past, but we've updated the data to the most recent election data or voter registration data the states have produced. And our study has found, as of September 2020, I think we checked all the numbers up to uh, you know the latest numbers. Our study has found that 353 U.S. counties in 29 states have voter registration rates exceeding 100%. That means they have more people on the rolls than are living there and eligible to vote, according to the best, most recent census data, which goes, I think, through 2018. So when you count up all the voters that are, quote, extra, meaning the number of voters over 100 percent, what number do you come up with? 1.8 million extra names on the rolls, at least. Again, this is a partial examination of the states because not all the states put up the data. I think 13 states don't put up the data. Some states put up data that's shady, so we don't we can't rely on it. Eight states, they're it's not just a county in a state, but the state overall has a registration rate over 100%. And those states are Alaska, Colorado, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Our study collected the most recent registration data posted online by the states themselves. The data was then compared to the Census Bureau's most recent five-year population estimates gathered by the American Community Survey from 2014 through 2018. Eight, those surveys are sent to three and a half million addresses per month, each month, and its five-year estimates are considered to be the most reliable estimates outside of the decennial census. So we have the census done every 10 years, right? But in the intermediate, they've got the census is always counting. So that's what that's referring to. Judicial Watch's latest study is necessarily limited to 37 states that post regular updates to their registration data. Certain state voter registration lists may also be even larger than reported because they may have excluded inactive voters from their data. That's a little trick because inactive voters who may have moved elsewhere are still registered voters and may vote up and may show up and vote on election day and or request absentee or mail-in ballots. So you just say, well, you know, I've got 15 registered voters here. Well, what about those other voters? Oh, well, they're inactive. Well, can't they show up and vote? 
Yes. Well, can they ask for a ballot? Yes. So why aren't they with the 15? Well, they're inactive. I mean, that's that's the garbage logic we have to deal with, the insane logic we have to deal with when we fight these battles. Now, Judicial Watch relies on studies like this uh, to warn states to clean up their roles. And some states actually react positively. They say, well, we're going to clean up. Some counties clean up. Because the National Voter Registration Act requires states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. Now, as you know, we have, or you should know if you don't already, three states uh, in federal court right now, North Carolina and counties in those states, Colorado, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. In North Carolina and Pennsylvania alone, it looks like there are as many as 2 million extra names in the rolls. A little bit less than 2 million. Colorado, I'm not sure what the number is. I think it's 100,000 or so. I'm not sure. Two-thirds of the state's counties in Colorado's had registration rates exceeding 100%. There's no good reason for that. I mean, even if the population bumped up a little bit, even if you had more people registering before the election, having a registration rate over 100% is unacceptable. And it shows why it is reckless for states to mail blindly ballots and ballot applications to people who haven't asked for them. Right now, they're gone out. Mostly they've gone out because it's coming pretty close to the election. 100 million ballots and ballot applications are being mailed to people who haven't asked for them. This is the distinction the president has tried to make. It's one thing to have an absentee ballot requested from a a voter and the voter asks for it and then it's sent and the voter sends it back. I don't think that's the most secure way to vote. It's still subject to fraud because, as I point out, or as the study points out, or suggests, when you've got dirty voting rolls, you can have dirty elections. Because if the if the name is on the list and it's a bad name, it's still there for someone else to use for fraudulent purposes if they want. And you may say, well, there's all these security checks. For absentee ballots, well, there are some security checks. They're not sufficient in my view. Some don't have signature checks. The left is trying to undermine other security checks, such as witness requirements. You want a list of the states where the numbers are bad, where they have counties over 100%? Here it is. And it's, and it's not like, it's not all blue. It's a mix. It's red and blue meaning Republican and Democrat-oriented states. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and West Virginia. 
So all of those states have counties in them that have voter registration rolls that are out of whack. Some of those states don't just have counties, it's the entire state. The entire state is a problem. And again, those states are Alaska, Colorado, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and Vermont. So this is important data. It highlights the dangers of mail-in voting, how reckless it is, and, uh, and the importance of Judicial Watch's work to clean up the rolls, don't you think? Don't you think? So uh, Judicial Watch's litigation will continue in that regard. And as the election comes closer, we are monitoring what else is going wrong in the system. And I encourage you to communicate directly with us if you're aware of any issues like that. Don't go asking and confronting people in the poll, polling places or start yelling at workers and things like that. Don't do that. You report to the proper authorities any issues and tell us what's going on and we'll see if we can follow up. So this data shows 1.8 million extra names in just 30, 20, excuse me, 29 states. Tip of the iceberg. Our voting rolls are a mess and the politicians and the political class knowing that are mailing blindly into them anyway. That's why I'm upset. That's why I'm concerned about election day chaos. That's why I'm concerned about voter fraud. So what else are we doing? Well, you may recall we asked for Hillary Clinton's deposition and we received it from a lower court judge. The, uh, our request was granted on her emails and Benghazi attack records. She took the extraordinary step of seeking mandamus relief, which is an extraordinary type of relief, only really granted on an emergency basis to people. To compare and contrast, General Flynn sought emergency mandamus relief from Judge Sullivan refusing essentially to immediately dismiss his criminal case despite a request from the Justice Department. So it goes up to this appellate court and the panel um, says that Hillary Clinton essentially gets a special dispensation from having to testify. Uh, they ignore court precedent. They say that uh, FOIA, no one can ask any questions about FOIA except, uh, uh, you know, did the person, the, the, uh, you can only ask whether they searched where they were supposed to and only the searchers you can ask. But we're not allowed to ask someone who walked off with 60,000 pages of records what they were doing. Obviously that eviscerates FOIA. And typically, in the, what, what Hillary Clinton was doing is that she had uh, intervened, was given permissive intervention, it's called. So she was kind of like a party. But typically, when you're in that situation and you don't get a decision you like, you have to appeal it after the case is done, more or less. But no, that wasn't what Hillary Clinton got to do. They just let her bypass the law and the rules there, cut in line, more or less, and give her benefits that no one else would be able to get in terms of law and the ability to challenge the right to our right to question her under oath. So we saw what is called an en banc appeal. So you have a three judge panel at the appellate court, Judge Lamberth ruled in our favor, Hillary Clinton moved to the appellate court for the mandamus, the three judge panel. And then there's an en banc panel of the full appellate court in the district that we're seeking review, in which we're seeking review or rehearing. So we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, the uh, 
I, I don't have a release officially yet on our filing, which was to, uh, late yesterday, uh, but you'll be able to see it online uh, probably over the weekend or on Monday, by certainly by Monday. But uh, it, it is frustrating because General Flynn didn't get mandamus relief. And that's one of the things we want the court to clarify for the American public and frankly for us in terms of the law. Why is it that General Flynn is told he's got to wait to appeal an adverse ruling or something by Judge Sullivan before he gets any relief, but Hillary Clinton can't doesn't have to wait. Why did General Flynn get different treatment than Hillary Clinton? And of course, General Flynn did not win his mandamus relief. So that's the big question we have. And so we're not giving up on the Hillary Clinton issue. And what's exceedingly frustrating is that the court, uh, it, the, the excuse me, the Justice Department and State Department rushed to the lower court to try to shut down all of our other discovery based on this pro-Hillary Clinton ruling. So we are facing and fighting the Justice Department and the State Department as they try to cover up and prevent us from getting more information about what went on with Hillary Clinton's emails Information that the court already authorized us to get. They're trying to get the court to pull it back. What a betrayal of everyone who thought that there would be a change of pace in the Justice Department and State Department with President Trump. If I were President Trump, I'd, I'd go in and say, stop doing this. Why are you defending Hillary Clinton? Why are you defending her email misconduct? Why are you defending the Obama State Department and Justice Department cover-up of all this? What's going on? getting zero help. Now, by the way, the Justice Department can appeal this too. They haven't done it. They opposed us wanting to question Hillary Clinton in the lower court, but when she made this desperate mandamus appeal, they said, well, that's not appropriate. That, that, that's not what it's for. So they kind of agreed, They not a kind of, they did agree with us. They didn't want to actually argue the case though. They actually were literally forced to come in to argue against Hillary Clinton. That's how awful they are. That's how awful it is over there. Even when they disagree with her on her wash, they don't even want to show up in court to oppose her. And they're not appealing this ruling that eviscerates FOIA. Because if this court decision goes through as it is, you can have then Hillary Clinton come back into the, to the, uh, to the uh, Biden administration attorney general or something, do it all over again, and we wouldn't be able to ask her a darn question, nor would anyone else, at least under the FOIA law. Does that make sense to you? Of course it doesn't. So we'll see how the court rules. I think we'll probably hear relatively quickly, probably in the next month or so. So we'll see. I'll keep you apprised. So... Well, I talk about Hillary Clinton and other things in our new book, especially Obamagate and the plot against the president. Here it is. I just got it. It was delivered to the office and I went and picked it up. And you see, Republic under assault. The left's ongoing attack on American freedom by Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch. 
Now, our two prior books were New York Times bestsellers, and I'm hoping that you'll help us make this a New York Times bestseller as well. We have a virtual book signing when, on the day the book is released on October 20th. Uh, go to livesigning.com slash republic to sign up. I'll be signing um, uh, uh, for the books there and talking. I think we're scheduled to talk with Sarah Carter on Tuesday about the book. But the book is great. And it's not just because I'm the author. It's because it gives you information in one place about, as I say, this unprecedented attack on our republic. The coup assault on President Trump, the attack on our nation's sovereignty, and the attack on our election systems and how it was all designed to help Hillary Clinton. All this is being confirmed just in the last few weeks. Of course, I have to stop. We have to stop writing the book at one point. You know, we finally just have to stop because there's breaking news every week. But uh, this book is extraordinary. And you're going to learn about Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele and Hillary Clinton and Schiff and the assault on our sovereignty and George Soros all of that in this book. And, um, and I think it's the most important book you'll read this year. Why? Because the title says it all. Our republic is under assault. We're in danger of losing our republican form of government. They're trying to undo the election process. They sought to remove a president through an impeachment coup. You had Hillary Clinton just breaking the law with impunity, showing that there's two standards of justice for the protected class and the rest of us. You had an assault on our sovereignty that thankfully President Trump was able to push back, but it's still under stress there, despite the wall, despite some major, major reforms that have protected our nation's sovereignty. But they, they tried to break our border. No border, no nation, folks. If your president can be picked and choose, not by you, but by the deep state coup cabal, that's not self-government. And our book goes through that. And it's a great one. You can buy it online now, pre-order it online now, buy it next week, buy copies for your family, buy copies for your children and grandchildren, Ask them to read it as a gift to you. I've written two prior books for Judicial Watch, and I encourage you to get them as well. You'll see them online. I'm sure they'll be suggested that you buy them when you know how the Internet works these days. You can't just buy one thing. There's always a suggestion that you buy something else. But uh, the two other books are um, Clean House and Corruption Chronicles, and they're Great books. They talk about the Bush-Obama corruption and then the second part of the Obama administration, corruption and clean house. And that's a great book, too. And I encourage you to read that as well. So, uh, again, live signing next week, livesigning.com slash republic. You can buy the book on uh, all over the Internet now. Uh, go to judicialwatchbook.com for more details. So I'm looking forward to getting this public this book out there publicly and um, you know, help me do that. Help, help Judicial Watch with the heavy lifting. You buy a book like, if you buy this book, you'll be helping Judicial Watch. On top of the book, we have a movie coming out next week. We opened, uh, excuse me, we partnered with the uh, Unreported Story Society, 
to put out the Obamagate movie, which is a movie that uses the text messages and testimony of folks like Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, and James Comey uh, to present the Obamagate story in their own words. It's not like we had to make up any dialogue for it. And so it's, it's really, it's, uh, you'll find it outrageous. You'll find it funny. And it's just another way that Judicial Watch could uh, get the word out to even more Americans about the worst corruption scandal in American history. So I encourage you to watch the movie next week. It's the Obamagate movie. It's free. You don't have to do anything. Just go to YouTube, look it up. It's, uh, I think it's probably ObamagateMovie.com. You know, you'll be able to find it. Dean Kane and Christy Swanson are the stars of the movie. I think um, uh, the other star, his name is forgetting me. I think it's John James is on it as well. So I encourage you to watch the movie. Uh, it's a great way, an entertaining way to find out the awful details about Obamagate, really awful details. And so uh, you got the book, you got the movie, go ahead and do it. And I think we're gonna have right here and now a special clip that we're gonna insert uh, that you can watch, get a preview of the, of the movie right here. I wanna go to August 15, 2016, quote, I want to believe the path you threw out in Andy's office, dash, that there's no way he gets elected, dash. But I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40, end quote. And that was Agent Struck to you. That's correct. And Andy would be whom? Andy McCabe. How long did this conversation last? I have no idea. What do you make of the dash? Quote, I want to believe the path you threw out in Andy's office, dash, that there is no way he gets elected, unquote. What, what is that clause that there is no way he gets elected? Modify. There was nothing on the calendar that there was a formal meeting, but I know the sort of sentiment that the text is meant to reflect, if mm. I could explain that. Sure, sure. I just want you to keep in mind we're 15 days into a then nascent counterintelligence investigation. Yes, yes, I understand that. If that helps put it into context. So we were trying to find an answer to the question, right? So if Trump is not elected, then to the extent that the Russians were colluding with members of the team, we're still going to investigate that. But if he becomes president, that totally changes the game. Well, can you explain how you understood Mr. Strzok's analogy to an insurance policy? There is no actual insurance policy. He's making an analogy. I don't expect to die anytime soon. I hope that I don't, but I have life insurance. Unlikely, I'm 38, but you get it in the unlikely event that you die young. Can you explain what you meant by that text? That is an analogy to somebody saying, hey look, every pollster and talking head thinks that Secretary Clinton is going to be elected, and my responding, well, that may be true, but nevertheless, we need to responsibly investigate this in the unlikely event, based on the polls and the pundits and the experts, that candidate Trump is elected. And I am looking at a text that you sent to Special Agent Strzok, quote, Trump's not ever gonna become president, right? Right? Unquote. And then Strzok, the agent who originated the counterintelligence investigation, he responds, quote, no, no, he's not, we'll stop it. Unquote. Right, well, that's a different sort of context, which I'm happy to explain. 
so the reason he's both the originator and like the approver is because it was a Sunday and there's nobody around. Uh, yeah, July the 31st is a Sunday. You are correct. All right. And your response was, quote, no, period, no, he's not, period, we'll stop it, end quote. What did you mean by no? No was my, my recollection of no. And let me just say that there's been a lot written about this text. And what I can tell you, Congressman, is in no way does that suggest that I did or even considered taking any action. I'll tell you what, Agent Strzok, before you get to what you didn't mean by no, how about we settle on what you did mean by it, and then we can discuss the entire universe of what you didn't mean by it. I thought that question was her personal question as to whether or not he would become president. My answer, no, was my personal belief that I did not think he would be. Well, then... Why didn't you say, no, I don't think he's going to. No, I don't think he'll win the Electoral College. No, I don't think he'll do well in Ohio. Why did you say, no, he's not? Sir, because my recollection of that text, which I don't recall specifically writing, is it's late at night. Are you denying writing it? Oh, I'm not denying writing it at okay. all. Okay, quote, no, no, he's not, unquote. He's not what? Going to be my belief that he is not going to be president. Okay. Quote, we'll stop it, unquote. Who's we? My response to that was coming off of a speech where then-candidate Trump was insulting the family, the immigrant family of a fallen war hero. It was so unbelievable to me that the American people, that I, that anybody, given those sorts of sentiments and statements, would elect him to the presidency. That was my personal belief. Okay. Okay, well, that helps, Agent Strzok. By we, you meant the United States. Is that what you meant? Honestly, I don't know that I had Who any wrote specific... It? Who wrote the we? I wrote it, Congressman. All right. So, we are less than 10 days into an investigation, and you are talking about stopping the presidency the person that you were supposed to be dispassionately and objectively investigating? No, sir. That is not what I've said. What I've said is my personal belief that the American people I did not believe would elect the president. That is fundamentally different from what you just said and suggested. We'll let the reader decide how fundamentally different it is. <laughs> Agent Struck. Well, you can see that was a, a pretty funny stuff. So I encourage you to watch the full thing online on YouTube, as I said, at the Obamagate movie. So... Buy the book, A Republic Under Assault, next week. Buy it now, actually. You can pre-order it. And I'll see you next week here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thank you. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.